So I learned work ethic from my dad. He did everything himself. I'd cut the lawn with him and do everything, wash the cars, all that kind of jazz. I learned a lot. And from a mom, man up, man up. Take the bull by the horns, get after it. And if you want something, get after it. And you know what? Stand up for what's right. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation, and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capital Grill City Center with my guest, John Matson, Executive Consultant, Chemicals and Petroleum Center of Competence at IBM. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing very well. We've got got some bad weather coming, but I'm okay. Yeah, it's supposed to get really cold. Oh, my goodness. The 20s, right? Yeah, for Houston, that's Uh, cold. Yeah, Yeah. that's, yeah. Well, that's just cold for me in general, (laughs) so (laughs) we have to layer up. Mm -hmm. All right, so before I get into it, I wanted to thank everybody that's left a review on iTunes, and if you can do me a favor and leave another review, I'd love to read it on the air. So, John, let's discuss how you got started in the industry. Okay. I got my petroleum engineering degree from Louisiana Tech. And I started my career with mobile oil. Yeah. I cut my teeth offshore, Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. And I've been in the industry for about right at 42 years. Half of that was with mobile. And I did everything literally from rig floor to boardroom. Really? All different assignments. Every two years, I had a new assignment. So drilling, completions, production engineering, planning, investor relations up in our corporate headquarters. I mean, you name it. Kind of... Jack of all, master of none, if you will. Very good. But I did learn the industry quite well. And the merger came with Exxon, and I went to work for Halliburton and spent uh, several years with them. And I got to learn the service industry. And I had a great time there, traveled the world, really great assignment. Then I did some consulting on my own. And right before joining IBM about five years ago, I got a call from a former mobile employee uh-huh. who was CEO of Barry Petroleum. Okay. And he said they had purchased leases in uh, Permian Basin Mm -hmm. and in East Texas. And this was the third asset group that they had, started with heavy oil out in California. And he said, I'd like to see if you're interested in becoming the VP of Ops for all of our operations in Texas. And I said, Bob, I'm having too much fun and I'm making too much money. (laughs) I was literally in Stavanger, Norway and got this call in the morning. Mm. He said, the next time you come into U.S., I want you to fly up to Denver. Let's talk. So next thing you know, I'm with Barry, VP of Ops. <laughs> and I literally was right there during the boom times. Yeah. I mean, we it was hard to get rigs. I mean, things were blowing and going. Hotel rooms were, you know, crazy cost, all that sort of thing. Impact. You got it. You got it. Yeah. And it was fun. We, you know, right in the middle of fracking. And on the east side, I had asset with... Uh, that were gas wells, deep uh, gas wells there, in which we did frack and that sort of thing. So quite interesting in, in being new, and we had the leases. Drilling activity was just crazy. So we, when I left, right about three years, we had increased production tenfold in the Permian Basin, which was quite an accomplishment. I really, really enjoyed that. Had a great team, brought some 
former mobile employees in, as you know how it works. Yeah. And we really, really had a good time. It's almost like having your own company, if you will. Yeah. And then at the end of 2013, Lynn Energy purchased Barry. Right. And so by virtue of that, I, you know, we got our CIC packages and all that sort of thing. And I had some buddies at IBM that said, John, you consider consulting. And it couldn't have worked out better. I said, I've always wanted to, but I wanted to have some gray hair, <laughs> some scars on my back, and some experience. Yeah. So I did that, and I'm working in this group called Center of Competency, which has houses people like myself that yes. have been in industry, both upstream, downstream, chemicals, et cetera. We're a global resource, and we do everything from helping develop technology. We're not technologists, but how can this help lower my lifting costs right. or improve my drilling performance? And uh, it's really, really neat. That's the most favorite part of my job is working with those guys that have a lot more brain cells than I do. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been there about five years mm -hmm. and enjoying what I'm doing. Good. And it's almost like exactly what I've wanted to do. Good. As I thought through the career that I wanted to, wanted to pursue. Well, I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know if everybody can say that, but maybe I have a better attitude. So. Yeah. So what did you get your degree in? Petroleum engineering okay. at Louisiana Tech. Okay. Small school. Right. Interesting story. You know, when we were looking at schools and my dad was coaching me and he said, you can go anywhere you want except for LSU. <laughs> and <laughs> I not? said, why, why not? He said, number one, it has a reputation of a party school. Number two, it's too close to home. That's true. I don't want you here every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> like but I got all, rid of you. I raised yeah, you to get rid of you, right? Yeah. And, and all my buddies and everybody, all my friends went to LSU. You know? <laughs> and they have a pretty darn good petroleum department as well. Yes, they do. Yep. So anyway, I go up to Louisiana Tech, Lincoln Parish, very, very small school, very different. It couldn't be more different than New Orleans, where I grew up. Mm -hmm. So a lot of good buddies still have a lot of friends that I stay in contact with, most of them in the business. And if I look back, I'd do it again. Awesome. Yep. So you said you had a different role every two years yep. or so. So which one of those uh, did you really yep. appreciate the most? The one, if I look back, that I learned the most and that I was very fortunate to have was the role in investor relations, corporate investor relations. The group was very small. It had one VP who reported to the CEO. At the time, it was Alan Murray of Mobile uh -huh. and then Lou Noto. So my boss reported to him, and I was the one single guy that was responsible for anything and everything that gets questions that get got asked from analysts, the annual report, the fact book, and all that sort of thing for upstream. We had another guy for downstream and another guy for chemical. So I can remember sitting across the table as I am with you, answering questions that Lou Noda had to understand better because he was a chemicals downstream guy. Right. The upstream. Yeah. And I would go, I'd, I'd put speeches together. It was just, I learned about the whole integrated business, if you will, because mobile, you know, was an integrated company. So... I look back in contacts I made and, you know, how decisions get made. I attended board meetings, shareholder meetings, et cetera. And that really broadened me, if you will, because I was fairly specific in my roles, drilling engineer or completion yeah. engineer, production engineer, et cetera. But this really opened it up for me. And I have a much better appreciation for the industry and the businesses that are in it today because of that. Very good. So you kind of got a little insight on the Very much. Yep. Perfect. Looking back on all of that. Mm-hmm. Probably prior to Barry, what would you say some of the real challenges yeah. were? Yeah. It, as most people know in this industry, 
there's t- kind of two paths that you yeah. can take, right? Especially if you're an engineer, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be facilities or petroleum, chemical, or whatever. Reservoir. Or reservoir. Right. Yeah. You have to decide, and with leadership, are you going to stay in that discipline and be an expert for your career? Or do you broaden up and you go into management and leadership roles? Yeah. I had this one particular manager who basically said, John, and they were pretty open. They said, the path we have outlined for you is to be the generalist, if you will, and understand and take the management leadership just based upon, you know, my skill sets and what they saw and that sort of thing. And that was kind of scary, you know, but if I look back, that was probably one of the best decisions that I made as far as listening to somebody and recommending more so than my dad, if you will, even though I went to Louisiana Tech and not LSU, right? Right. So that was... That was a change for me. And once I started taking on management and leadership roles, the first thing I learned was there's a big difference between a manager and a leader, as most people know. Absolutely. I've read, you you name the book, I've read it on leadership. (laughs) I did everything I could, but also I understood, and this is huge, one of my major learnings, how important people are, whether it's ExxonMobil or Chevron or Chesapeake, whoever the company is. The assets are somewhat similar. You might have privileged assets to a certain extent, depending upon where you are and the technology and that sort of thing. But it's really the people that make the difference on whether you're going to perform or not. Yeah. And it's it's motivating. It's driving. It's making tough decisions, et cetera. Yeah. And I absolutely love it. I'm a believer in leadership. You're born with it. Now, some are, some aren't. But if you do have some intuition for that, Read and study and do as much as you can because you can always learn every single day. Yeah, you sure. And and, and that, that's something I love about this industry. It's mm-hmm. it's it's ever evolving. Yes, very much so. Yeah. So. Yeah, I have seen so much over the forty two years, starting in the Gulf of Mexico. Mobile had their own helicopters, things like that. I've got a story I'd like to tell you yeah, in the audience ahead. about that. No, let's go ahead. Okay, so when I started, when I was green, if you will. I, um, mobile had a program as most of the big oil companies did in which they had an orientation program and what they did, they had you go spend, you know, seven days on a drilling rig, mm-hmm. seven days on a jack up for completions or a work over. I'd spend seven days with the accounting group, seven days with the finance group, et cetera, et cetera. And you, you check the box, all that. So here I was just right in out of school. Thinking, here I am, I'm a petroleum engineer, I know what I'm doing, and this and that. And I go out on this uh, jackup rig in the Gulf of Mexico, and they were they had just drilled a well, and they were performing a completion, gravel packing, and then they jet the well in yep. with, with nitrogen, et cetera. Mm-hmm. A pretty risky you know, part of the business, if yeah. you will, because you're bringing this well on. Yeah. A lot of people, you got well testers, you got coal tubing, on and on and on. So I had been out there for my seven days. And i not going to say it now, but I can remember the names of everybody. It's so vivid. Once you hear my story, you'll understand why. So here was day seven. Tuesdays were crew changes, which was fairly typical in the Gulf of Mexico yep, at the that, time. Yep. And you always had steak that night as well. <laughs> anyway, for the new guys coming in and the guys that leaving for lunch. I mean, for break. Yeah. So the company man. And he and I were the only two mobile people on the rig, okay? That's normally the way it works. Everybody yeah. else's contract. We were waiting in the galley, and the heliport is right above the galley, mm-hmm. the furthest distance away from the rig floor. 
by design, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got our bags and we're sitting there and on the radio comes in. We'll be there in about five minutes. No problem. Everything's fine. Now, at the time, they were rigging up coal tubing. They were rigging up the nitrogen units. They had wireline people. I mean, you name it, the testing units on the rig. Uh-huh. Away I, from it, right? Okay. Right. But, you know, it's time to go and they, our relief is coming. So we hear, okay, we've touched down in about a minute. And I, we sat there. We're ready to go, bust out the door and go up the steps, but you can't go up there until the chopper is landed. Landed, yeah. So the loudest noise I have ever heard in my entire life. I thought the rig was going to just implode. The chopper, it had two people in it. The relief for the company man and the chopper pilot. Uh-huh. I didn't have a relief because they were finishing. They were, gonna, they yeah. were just going to test the well. It was so loud. I just thought, I'm dead. Now, I'm with mobile for probably three months. Oh. Right out of school. Yeah. And we rush up there, the company man and I, once the noise had stopped. The chopper is upside down, literally, with the tail rotor hanging off the side. And, and the company man says, John, go get the guys out of the chopper. I'm going to get the fire hose because, think about it, it's upside down. Yeah. You got jet fuel pouring, pouring. Yeah. towards the exhaust, the exhaust. that's hot, it's flaming hot, right? And I'm going, we're dead. We're dead. And I just got here. We're dead. Yeah, I, I know. I said, <laughs> why did I ever do this? <laughs> you know, I said, my career was pretty short. <laughs> so he did that. Okay. So I go up, open the door. Both guys were literally, the seats were upside down, still seat belted in. So I took the seat belts off. Got them out, brought them down to the galley. AC, excuse me, the company man was spraying off the chopper. All good. We go into the galley, the four of us now, and they just sat there. They were in shock. They could not believe what happened. So we stayed for a while, talked with them. Then we checked on everybody else on the rig. Now, if you know about a chopper, the blades are like honeycomb. And Mm -hmm. it's fiberglass and other materials like that. So there wasn't a single blade left on that. I guess not. Tail rotor or the big blade, right? Yeah. It had, it had shrapnel literally had gone all over the rig. One guy got cut. Very minor. Nobody else hurt. Wow. And they got off the chopper. They were fine. So this is the conclusion of my story. So at the time, and even today, when there's an incident such as that, mayday, mayday, right? Yeah. Every single crew boat, work boat, was on the phone, sent their boats to us, right? And to make sure, because the first thing you, you, you think is fire. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. No place to go but the water. Yep. So we had a, a crew boat, and we get off, and they were, by the time we left, they were literally took the crane and were, were moving the chopper. And we go over to a major drilling rig that was drilling for mobile. Can I ask what platform it was? This was a jack-up rig, okay? okay? So. And we went and we went to the mid, Mr. Mel, which was a drilling rig at the okay. time that was close, right? In okay. Eugene Island was Eugene it. Island. Yep. Okay. Eugene Island was okay. the area. Okay. Correct. Okay. Yep. Good. I'll never forget. <laughs> so we take the crew boat, go over to Mr. Mel. We get off. We go up and see the company man. He said, what the hell happened over there, guys? So we told him. He said, anybody hurt? I said, no. And he said, well, here's the deal. I know you all are days off. I've got a chopper that'll be here in about 30 minutes to take you guys in into Morgan City. Or I've got a work boat. And you know, work boats are a lot slower than crew boats. Oh, boy, do I. That's due to be here in about an hour. We looked at each other and said, 
I think we'll take the boat. boat. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get what as long as I could get on land. Yeah. Solid land. I was good. Yeah. And I'm going, welcome to the oil patch. Yeah. That's one of the many stories, but that's the one that I tell most often because it's so unbelievable. I'm, you know, the good man upstairs has been good to me and uh, that, I'm alive today. Yeah. And I can goodness. talk about it. You yeah. Know? yeah. So, so I'm super cautious. I am super all about HS&E, yeah. health, safety, environment. Yep. And now it's got social involved in security with that as well. And that's one of the changes that I've seen over my lifetime. We didn't have PCs back then. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the internet. I would have to go down. We had a library at mobile in New Orleans. You'd go and you look up, you know, JPT articles and have to read them. Yep. It's so different. Yeah. It's amazing how yeah. things change. Yeah, now, now that we do have computers. Well, right? that's right. <laughs> you can look up anything you want. Yep. You know? It's all in the palm of your hand, actually. Really? Literally. Yeah, even, yeah you literally. don't even need it. You don't even need a computer. You just have your phone. That's right. And that's right. your little computer right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. So if I look over the changes, technology's changed, but more so this whole the whole computer age yeah. has changed during during my career. Yeah. And you can do so much more now. I mean, do you ever think you'd be at uh, IBM as a... No. Yeah. That's no. exactly... Yeah. You know, what am I going to do? Sell computers? Right. <laughs> or PCs or whatever? You right. Know? And that's what's amazing. And, and for those that don't know that don't listen to our other podcasts, IBM is now the sponsor of Oil & Gas This Week, which is actually my favorite podcast. So check it out. And I believe we'll be giving away some stuff on that show as well. Yeah. How about those that you interview? <laughs> this is it right here oh, okay great i get to <laughs> you, interview with you yeah you get to okay. interview and you get all the lovely things that capital girl i mean they're yep. so wonderful to yeah they here. are they are yeah so between our our snacks and drinks yeah so all of that being said mm-hmm. if you had one piece of advice to give our audience what would it be it's funny you mentioned that a good buddy of mine from ruston mm-hmm. had a son that went to tech and graduated last year and his dad, his, or his granddad, sold drill bits uh-huh. coming up, and he knew the industry, but he didn't stay in it. But he still was interested, the grandson. His name was Henry. And his dad, who's a good friend of mine, said, John, you know, I'm think he's thinking about Halliburton. He said he wants a big service company and to learn the business and all that. He said, you know, some people there and all that. He said, but what, what do you recommend? I said, I'll tell you. You start from the bottom. You get on that pump truck, you cut sacks of cement, whatever the case might be. There's no way you can run a business or lead people in a business unless you've done it before. Mm -hmm. And that has been my career. I mean, like I said, literally from rig floor. And you don't know the times that I was in the Gulf of Mexico during summer as a roustabout. Just tying the cable from the crane on drums of chemical. Hot as anything, just, I'm going, what is this? But anyway, I look back and I say, you know what? I'm glad I did because I know how long things take. I know what it takes to get things done. You know, all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, that's probably one of my biggest learnings in what I would recommend to anybody in the industry. Very good. Start at the bottom. Start at the bottom. Good. Yep. Good. So you worked only offshore or you also no. worked onshore? Well, no. I mean, you said because you mentioned bearings. Yep. So. Yeah. So with mobile. I did work offshore, and then I, I picked up, they increased your portfolio of properties. So I had onshore properties as well. Mm-hmm. So some in Mississippi, Mobile Bay, uh, mm-hmm. which Mobile had a huge development there. Midland, Texas, CO2 floods. Yeah. Bakersfield, California, heavy oil. 
I mean, you name it. I've basically worked in most, if not all, of the basins in the, in the U.S. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I have offshore and onshore. As I tell people, offshore, onshore, oil, gas, tertiary recovery, secondary recovery, steam right. floods, CO2 floods, you know, all of that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yes. Oh, excellent. So you... That's pretty exemplary. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, you're just like, well, if I'm going to do onshore, I'm just going to do all of it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what I had stated earlier. If you're going to stay in that technical role, then there's nothing wrong with that. I right. Mean, yeah. Huge. And it's not like you, you're not going to make as much money or anything like that. But if that's your cup of tea, then you become the expert for that basin. If you yeah. will, take a geologist, right, or whatever. Yeah, and, um, and you need that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Either route, I was lucky enough, and I was talking to an ex, ex-mobile guy who just retired, and he said, man, you are lucky, because he stayed in that one position and for his whole career. And I'm going, I couldn't do that. I do get bored after two years. I'm ready to move on, try something else, you know? <laughs> right. Because, you know, what, what happens is, in my opinion, and I've heard others say this, your first six months to maybe a year, you're learning that new discipline, the, yeah. the role you're in. And it's not until that second year, at least, you're able to contribute. Right. And so, you know, I was able to do that in most of uh, the jobs I was in. So I was able to uh, learn, get the expertise, learn what's needed, and then I can make a difference. And in a way, I'm kind of jealous because, you know, it took me a long time at being a regulatory Mm -hmm. person um, that you didn't know what. Right. Anything was. Right. Even with pictures. Yeah. Right. Even if somebody sat down and explained it, you had to actually see it. You you, you did. And that's. One thing I'll say to that was I'm one, you know, you heard kick the tires and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I know the Internet's great resource and all that. But I've traveled so much. Most of the places in the world where there's oil, I've traveled, visited for work. That's a lot of countries. A lot. And I I got paid to do it. So I'm sitting there in Cairo, Egypt, looking at the Sphinx. and I'm going, these people over here, they paid to fly over here and they're paying, Right. I'm getting paid to do it because <laughs> I had a bunch of work in Cairo, right? right? But Dubai, Moscow, Libreville, Gabon, I mean, you name it. Well, my, you know, my, my dad and his yep. sisters grew up in, in Malta because there my grandfather worked in the Sahara. Right. So, yeah, I totally So I liken that. that to what you just said because it applies. You can study all you want about Egypt or yeah. Cairo mm-hmm. or pick a, pick a country, pick a city, whatever. But until you go there, you see it with your own eyes. And most importantly, you talk to the people. Yes. You look them in the eye. And most people can talk English outside of the U.S. And, mm-hmm. you know, but I learned so much about life, about people. And I was in, I mentioned Gabon, okay? Mm-hmm. Huge offshore operation they had. I was with Halliburton at the time. And we go to this outdoor, like a souk, right? You, where you, they, they sell everything from the stones to whatever, carvings. And we stopped, and there was um, three of us, and there were some locals that were selling their wares. And so I started talking to him, and I'm asking him questions. This is Eddie. He looks at me, and he hits his his um, fist on his chest right where your heart is. And then he looked at me and and did it right back to me, which told me, that all, in other words, you got a good heart. Aww. I It blew me away. That's one of those I'll never forget. You know, I can tell you exactly where I was and what day and all that kind of stuff. What I was wearing. Well, yep. That's more of a woman thing. But. Yeah. but by the way, in that same trip, we got there on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> Literally, we go in. They had this big screen TV. It was a, I don't know, Hilton. I forgot. Go put our bags up. 
and we go back down and say, hey, we're going to meet. Super Bowl comes on at that there. It was 10 o'clock at night. And so we go in there and they had the bar. Then they had the big screen TV. Nobody was in there. So it was about five minutes to 10. And the fellow at the desk comes over, turns the lights out, turns the TV off. And he says, we close at 10. I said, all we want to do is watch the Super Bowl. We don't need the bar, nothing. Just let us watch the game here. No. We had three of us. None of our TVs worked except one. So everybody's <laughs> black and white. And it was terrible in one room. And that, if you recall, was the one. Who was it? Justin Timberlake and Michael Jackson's sister. Oh, her, Janet. Yeah, Janet the, Jackson. The, went, yeah. went, it, it, the front came right, off. Yeah. Right. And we didn't see it. <laughs> Everybody told us about it. And I said, come on. That's all people were talking about. But here we are piled up in one room with a blue bitty black and white TV, 13 inch. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm a football fanatic. The, I was going to say, you didn't even get to see the good game, part of the game. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so another one of my five bazillion stories, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so what would you say, and, and you probably you said you've read a lot of books. Mm -hmm. Which one of those books influenced yeah. you the most? The book, and I read a lot, okay? And I like holding it in my hand, not not. Well, not it. only that, you don't have to charge a book. Well, that's right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> true. Very true. Or the seat in front of you comes back and you, yeah. Yeah. So the literally the book that probably made the biggest difference in my life, and it applies to every aspect of life, whether it be work, whatever, is called, and it's a, it's a small book, but it's called Man's Search for Meaning by a fellow named Victor Frankl. He was in a German concentration camp. He was Jewish and was able to survive. And the stories he said, it's so good. But the one lesson, and I don't mind saying this because you'll, you, if someone reads it, they'll understand. But the only thing you can strip away from anybody, that you can't strip away from anybody, is how they determine to react to any situation they're in. Because the Germans tried in the con to do everything. They took their clothes. They made them cold. They didn't feed them. You know, they, they beat they them. They called them, them, separated them from family, the yeah. families. And he said, the only thing they couldn't take from me is how I determine myself to react to any situation I'm in, which is, you know, pretty powerful. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Yeah. I feel that right now. Yeah. It's a great book. I totally recommend anybody that listens. It's a short read, but it's deep and it's really, really, you know, it, it'll, it'll help change your perspective. The second thing that changed my perspective while we're on that was going in, in other countries and seeing how people live, where they live, what they eat and all that sort of thing. We don't know here in the U.S. how that really lucky we are, lucky we are and good we've got it until you go. Oh, yes. I don't care what you look at on the Internet. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm lucky enough to have been able to travel and see that. Yeah. Because that's that's life changing to a certain extent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 What would you say is your most used business tool? Well, if you would have asked me 40 years ago. Actually, I'd like. Yeah. No, <laughs> pretend I'm asking you 40 years ago. I want to hear this. A Pentel. You know, the pencil. Wow. <laughs> We're going there. <laughs> I don't. I saw someone the other day with one. I said, I haven't seen one of those in decades. Nobody uses pens or pencils anymore. You don't have to. I have pencils in my purse. I know. I know. Look, I, I carry a pen all the time. But that I did. I started doing that when I was in roles that I had to sign stuff, right? right. AFEs, whatever. But but the pen tell. And then the second thing, when I went off to school, now I'm really dating myself here. They came out with the first calculator, and it was a TI 
Texas Instrument SR50, I think was the, you got it through the mail. Shell gasoline had a special. And so, you know, those flowers come in when you used to get your bills, when you used to get mail and not on the, you know, paying through the internet. And my dad got it for me. It was 150 bucks at the time. That's awesome. But it was, oh yeah, that was it. I still have it. That's awesome. Still have it. Yes. I still have the TI-80. Yeah. Six from whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it did everything. I mean, you could, you could program it to do an amortization table, whatever, you know, yeah. type of deal. But those two were the things that, you know, I remember the most. Today, it, it's it's the phone. Yeah. I can do anything and everything on it. You know? Pretty much. Yeah. You can even write on it. Oh, just, yeah. Just without an actual pencil. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what's cool? And IBM has this. Other companies do, but a voice to text. Mm-hmm. So you can speak and it'll write, you know, yeah. pretty oh, cool absolutely. stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's very helpful in the car. Yeah. Who's your most respected competitor? You might expect me to say Accenture, McKinsey, you know, some of the big ones. There's some niche players out there that I really uh, respect, and I don't want to name one, but they're so nimble. They're so quick to get decisions made, to get products on the market, et cetera. And most of them combine. A person like me with a techie, if you will, mm. which is the perfect combination as right. far as I'm concerned. And they're able to do that. And there's not the big bureaucracy of big companies and that sort of thing. And they can really move fast. And in fact, a lot of the competitors that I see with the work that I'm doing now are the niche players. So good. Yep. What's your most important lesson learned? Hmm. I mean, that's yep. a lot to think about, right? Well, I'll answer it this way. What I learned from my dad was work ethic. I was 14 years old and worked at a shell service station in New Orleans in the summertime. Now, you can only imagine the heat and humidity. Mm. And that was back during the day, no matter how much they were paying for gas or how many gallons, you check the tires, all four of them. Yep. And the spare. Mm-hmm. You wipe the wind, wash the windows and the mirrors, and you check the hood. And here's $2, and I get a quarter tip. Mm. So, and it comes back to what I was saying about starting from the bottom, right? So if you, you really want to look back, who'd I work for first? Shell. <laughs> the service station, right? I didn't put that on my resume. Maybe I should. But but anyway, so I really, and, and then working offshore as a roustabout and, you know, looking at some of these people saying, when I'm 40 years old, which at the time I thought was old, okay, do I want to be working as a roustabout? Right. And that, I mean, those sort of things just really got to me. And so I learned work ethic from my dad. He did everything himself. I'd cut the lawn with him and do everything, right? Wash the cars, all that kind of jazz. I learned a lot. And from a mom, man up, man up. Take the bull by the horns, get after it. And if you want something, get after it. And you know what? Stand up for what's right. Not what's good, what's no, right. What's right. Yep. That's exactly right. Very good point. I'm not sure if this is applicable, but what's your favorite podcast? Well, I really haven't watched many. I mean, I've, whenever I want to know something about something, like I'm doing something on the car, all right, or I want to fix the dishwasher, whatever, I'll YouTube go in and look it. at YouTube it. Yep. <laughs> and it's amazing. Yeah. It really, I mean, are you kidding me? I used to have to go through manuals and all that kind of stuff. And you see it exactly. You order the part, it's there the next day, you know, for example, through Amazon Prime. And you fix it. Oh, I love Prime. Don't you? This yeah. Is, this is. A, <laughs> I'm sorry. Not don't sponsoring. mean. <laughs> right. But there, there's but. That's one of the sweetest things out there. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> totally. 
So because I want my listeners to be very well-dressed and most importantly safe, be sure to go to www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast to win an FR shirt and base layer. No purchase necessary to win. See official rules for details. Thank you so much for joining me again, John. Uh, this has been great. Any other stories you want to thank you um, throw in there? Well, first of all, I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, much. absolutely. As you can tell, I like to talk, and you know, there's so much that's happened over my life. You know, I was uh, at one of the competitors of this place the other night, Papa Steakhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I can't eat steak anywhere else. Okay. I feel like yeah. I'm cheating. I know, I know. <laughs> but I was there the other night. <laughs> And I don't know what that something happened and I, you know, stories started just flowing. And so we get finished. I said, well, can I talk now? <laughs> we were there for like two hours, <laughs> but I'm just trying to think of all the ones that I had that here's one that I told the other night. I've got more, but, but this is one good one to finish with. So as I mentioned, Gabon, I mean, I saw so much there. So we were leaving and, and you go into the airport's a hangar, literally. Mm-hmm. Check the bags, and we're in line, hot. Oh, and I look behind me, and there's a local, no luggage, just a muffler and tailpipe. He's holding it up, and it wasn't new, it was used. And I'm going, he didn't check it. He's bringing it on the plane. And the guys with me said, John, turn around, shut up, don't say anything. We want to get on this plane. <laughs> Okay. Whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that one stuck in my mind, too. I could just picture him today. Yeah. <sighs> but things like that, I mean, on so and on. Yeah. Random. Yeah. So if people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about IBM, where sure. should they go? Well, first of all, if my contact information is going to be available, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Shoot Are me you on email. LinkedIn? I am definitely on LinkedIn. Yep. All right. Yeah. We'll put that I've in got the show notes. 854 so. contacts on it. I've been on it since they you know, started. But no, LinkedIn is probably the best way. Yeah. Okay. Good perfect. point. Good and point. And then IBM, www.ibm.com. Yeah, yeah, to look up that. And I can, I can help if you're looking for something in particular where you might want to go. Okay. Perfect. Yep. Excellent. All yep. right. So that concludes this episode. Very so good. just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.